This message was presented through a partnership between GYC and GYC Europe at the 2012 conference in Linz, Austria. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. We're going to look at um, the message and its presentation this afternoon, how to prepare a sermon, an evangelistic sermon. So I'm excited, and I hope you are as well. So thank you for coming. And uh, let's begin with a word of prayer, shall we? Let's, let's bow our heads together. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to come together and study your word. And Lord, I pray that you'll be with us as we look at the evangelistic series and, and how to prepare a sermon, an evangelistic sermon that can make an impact upon the lives of people. So I pray for your Holy Spirit to give me wisdom, to give us all understanding, as we search your word. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, just a very uh, short review here uh, of what we covered this morning. We uh, covered this morning in our two sessions. Uh, in our first session, we covered public evangelism and its relevance today. Um, and uh, we looked at the early church, the apostolic church, and how public evangelism was very relevant at that time and how basically there were pillars that formed society in the apostolic days that are still very prominent and present today in our age. We looked at the promotion of knowledge in the Greek culture, the promotion of pleasure, pleasure-seeking, and um, we looked at the various gods that they had, m many religious persuasions, spiritual persuasions, and how these things we also see in our age today and if evangelism was relevant then, then definitely it is relevant today. So we looked at um, the relevance of public evangelism today, and I shared some personal experiences of evangelism and um, how we need to learn how to cast out the net in the right way, how to be able to fish for souls, so to speak, um, through the uh, guidance of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we looked this morning also at uh, preparing to share what is involved in planning and organizing for a public evangelistic series. And this afternoon, we're going to get right into basically the core, I would say, of this seminar, which is the message and its presentation. The message and its presentation. And we're going to look at a couple of points. We're going to look at actually three areas this afternoon. Uh, the first area we're going to look at is presenting simple messages centered in Christ. Presenting simple messages centered in Christ. Secondly, we want to look at communicating a well-sequenced series. In other words, how do you build up an evangelistic series? What are you going to present first? And, 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 and how are you going to build upon that um, in order to communicate uh, the beautiful uh, teachings that we have in God's Word? And I'll be giving uh, some, um, I believe, um, uh, compelling um, ways, uh, not only from my words, but from the words of inspiration. Actually, a lot of what I'll be sharing this afternoon comes from the book Evangelism. I was sharing a couple of uh, quotations from that book this morning as well, and we'll be looking at that this afternoon as well. Uh, the book has a lot to say about this area of communicating a well-sequenced series, so we'll be looking at that. And then last but not least, we'll be looking at preaching with enthusiasm. And so let's get right into it. Our first point here, presenting simple messages centered in Christ. Uh, yesterday evening's message 
uh, by David Ashrick was actually um, kind of laying the foundation of, 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 of really uh, what I was going to share on this point uh, this afternoon because he, he um, through a study of the book of Acts, showed in a very compelling way how over and over again there was uh, in the one central theme was the person Jesus Christ. And so it is also in our public evangelistic series, if not Christ is the focus, then we're only giving a bunch of ideas. And, um, you know, the teachings do not have the power in them that they're supposed to have when connected with the person Jesus Christ. Because what public evangelism really is, it is introducing a person to Jesus Christ. And we are doing that through simple messages that are centered in Christ. Now, and so whether you're presenting the, the law of God or whether you're presenting the Sabbath or whether you're presenting uh, what happens when a person dies, all these topics center in the person Jesus Christ. And so um, in order to have an impact in public evangelism, we must ever keep that in mind. Take notice of this uh, quotation, again, from the book Evangelism, page 171 and 172. It says the following, a few forcible remarks upon some point of doctrine will fasten it in the mind much more firmly than if such a mass of matter were presented that nothing lies out clear and distinct in the mind of those ignorant of our faith. There should be interspersed with the prophecies practical lessons of the teachings of Christ. I find that very, in very interesting. As we present the prophecies, let's say you're doing a, a public evangelistic series and you are presenting topics from Daniel and Revelation, as you are moving through the prophecies, inspiration tells us that we should put into those presentations practical lessons and teachings of Jesus Christ. In other words, putting the person Jesus Christ on display in the midst of those prophecies. Now, John 5.39, many of us are familiar with this text. What does Jesus say? He says, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which what? Which testify of me. So the scriptures testify of Jesus Christ. The scriptures reveal Jesus Christ. So whether we are preaching prophecy or whether we are preaching any, any doctrine of Adventism, it is centered in the person, Jesus Christ. And so, the, um, a way to make an evangelistic series successful and Christ-centered is to bring the teachings of Jesus into these prophecies. And we can do so by studying the life of Jesus and looking at the lessons and bringing those into the prophecies. Now, um, in the book of Ecclesiastes, it's a very interesting passage there that I would like to look at together with you. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, we read there the following passage written by the King Solomon, the words of wisdom here, and he writes about a preacher, and I want you to take notice of what he, how he characterizes a good preacher. It says the following, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, beginning in verse 9. And moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people, what's the word there? Knowledge. He still taught the people knowledge. 
You know, sometimes preaching can become very emotional and it can be detached from knowledge. In our preaching, what has to be central is the person Jesus Christ and the life and teachings that he put on display in his word. His word must be the point of gravitation, so to speak, that draws everything towards itself, a manifestation of the life of Jesus. There is a knowledge to be presented. Public evangelism, when presenting the message, it's not just an emotional experience. Even though the emotional experience is there, but if it's detached from a knowledge then there's something that is missing. It belongs together. The message is to reach the, the, mind, the heart as well as the mind. Both are to be engaged in the message. Now take notice what else it says uh, in this passage here in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. It says, Moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yes, he pondered and sought out and set in order many proverbs. So he is here, uh, when I read this, I get, the, I get the image of a preacher that is using time in searching out how he can best present a message so it will be clearly understood by the audience or congregation that he is dealing with. So there is a pondering going on. There's a searching out of knowledge. And so when we, pres- when we prepare our messages for a public evangelistic series... We are to seek out the words that we're going to speak, the the ideas we want to communicate, the person that we want to communicate, Jesus Christ. And it takes time. It takes effort. And yet it will be rewarded. And it goes on to say, the preacher sought to find acceptable words, and what was written was upright words of truth. Words of truth. Not his own words, but the words that come directly from the source of all truth, the source of the scriptures. And so again, the, the Bible, the scriptures, is like a, 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 the, the, the center of gravity. Everything, it, it pulls everything to itself. And so in public evangelism, communicating the word of God, we are communicating it truth from his word, presenting a person, Jesus Christ, bringing the teachings of Christ even into the prophecies and everything that we teach, whether whatever doctrine we are presenting, whatever prophecy we are presenting, bringing Christ into that message and making the word of God the center of that message. Now it goes on, the same passage. It says, the words of the wise are like goads and the words of scholars are like well-driven nails given by one shepherd. Again, there's a mental picture that emerges here of a building project. And think about it. If you were walking on the street and you looked to your side and there was a building project and they were building a house, but the house was not yet completed, and you would walk by and you would look at the building site and you saw the beginnings of the house, the foundation, and maybe some of the walls already, but you you could see that it was going to become a house even though it was not yet finished. You could follow along from day to day, week to week, as you would walk by and you would see that house getting completed. Now, um, if you would walk by that same site and you would look and you would think that they were building a boat right there, and you would come back later and you found out it was not a boat but a house, you would be surprised 
And you would think, ah, so, so in the building process, you weren't able to detect or identify what they were building. Now, um, bringing this to a spiritual level, it's a little bit like um, when you hear a sermon, it is important that the person that is communicating that sermon is communicated in, communicating it in, in such a way that you are able to follow with what is being built, spiritually speaking. So, in other words, um, if, you are, if, if you are listening to a sermon and it's going a little bit about that and then a little bit about that and then a little bit about that and a little bit about everything but really about nothing in the end, uh, it is very hard for you, to, for, you to, for you to see what is going on and where it's going. Just like if you walk by and you see the building of a house and then it becomes also a house, that makes sense. But if you thought it was a house but it becomes a boat... That, that doesn't make sense. And so in this, in this passage here in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, it's interesting because Solomon, talking about the wise preacher, is, is, is making this, this comparison to a builder, a builder. And when we are involved in public presentations and preaching uh, public uh, presentations, it is like we are building and people need to see what we are building so that there are no surprises suddenly in the end as to where we are going. And so this has to do with a, the build-up of a message, the logical build-up of a message. And we're going to talk a little bit about that this afternoon. Now, um, what are some important um, characteristics of a, a good message? Well, let's look at evangelism, page 176. Some very good counsel here. It says the following. Some of your lengthy discourses would have far better effect upon the people if cut up into, what does it say? Into three. That's quite amazing. The people cannot digest so much. Their minds cannot even grasp it. And they become wearied and confused by having so much matter brought before them in one discourse. Two-thirds of such long discourses are lost and the preacher is exhausted. So it's talking about the, the length of the message. So it should be a good build-up, but we need, to, we need to know how much people can actually take with concentration, how much they can actually grasp. And when we go on and on and on and on and continue to build and build and build, the people, they get lost. And so in the book Evangelism, Ellen White, she writes that sometimes it's best to even, those messages, and she's referring to the preachers of her day, but I think it can refer also many times to the preachers of our day, it would be good if we would take those, those long messages and divide them into, into three. Now, when I started doing public evangelism, I remember that I was, I was so excited about the truth of God's word that, you know, I, I made the mistake on many an occasion that I went too long and I would present this 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 and people were not able to follow. Yes, they could follow part of it, they could get parts of it, but it was hard for them to, to be able to trace out the whole big picture that I was trying to, to present. And so um, when we are doing public evangelism, rather have shorter presentations and then more presentations than trying to cramp everything together in one presentation. So, um, 
And we'll get a little bit more to this when we look at the sequence of an evangelistic series and how we can best uh, build it up. So it is a logical um, outworking of the scriptural truths and doctrines of our faith. Communicating a well-sequenced series. It's like building. Remember we used the illustration before from uh, Luke chapter 14, the building of a tower. Uh, it's like building. It's like building blocks of truth. Again, Christ is the center. Christ must be part of every prophecy and doctrine that we present. And yet the various truths of Adventism are like these building blocks that we are using to, to create a picture, to create a, 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 a beautiful representation of, of who God is. Now, when you, we communicate a, um, a, a series, or when we communicate um, yeah, a series of, of, of meetings, a series of presentations, it is like a chain of truth. Listen to the following um, quotation here from Gospel Workers, page 158 and 159. It says, theoretical discourses are essential that people may see the chain of truth. Link after link, uniting in a perfect whole, but no discourse should ever be preached without presenting Christ and him crucified as the foundation of the gospel. So there is a chain of truth, a chain of truth that's important to bear in mind when we prepare an evangelistic series it's not some loose topic like, oh, this is a good topic, and I think this is a good topic, and this is a good topic, and we just bring them all together, and we have a series of presentations. Um, the idea is that they are all connected together, and so one builds upon the other. One builds upon the other. Christ is, every, Christ is the connecting link. He's right there in the prophecy of Daniel 2. He's right there in the prophecy of Daniel 9. He's right there in the various prophecies. He's right there in the law when you present the law. He's right there in the Sabbath. He exemplified what Sabbath keeping is all about. He's right there in salvation. He's right there in the great controversy. In all the different topics that you have, Christ is central and he is that, that chain that he links together that chain of truth um, in, a, in a powerful and beautiful way. Now, I would like to talk a little bit about the principle of uh, repetition and enlargement. Um, and uh, for those of you that have ever, have ever um, taught in a school or for those of you that um, have been in, in any way engaged in uh, communication or, or teaching, uh, you will know that uh, one principle very important in teaching is to repeat things and then to build upon that repetition. And this is what we refer to as repetition and enlargement. In other words, if you present a certain teaching, let's, let's take, for example, the book of Daniel. If you're teaching through the book of Daniel and the prophecies there, if you present Daniel chapter 2, and, and, and we're, most of us are familiar with the dream there of Nebuchadnezzar representing the various empires and the prophecy there leading from the days of Babylon to the time in which we're living and the soon coming of Christ. If you take Daniel chapter 2 and that teaching and you present that um, in a presentation, in a, an evangelistic series, and then you move to your next presentation uh, 
And what you want to do then is, and, and let's say you're working through the book of Daniel chapter by chapter. So the next presentation is Daniel chapter 3. I'm just using a, an example here. What you want to do is you want to repeat what you dealt with in Daniel chapter 2 and then build on that in Daniel chapter 3. Now, working through a book, that is very logic, but also when you work through a series of presentations, always take what you presented the night before, give a little review, and then build upon that so that people see the chain of truth. Does that make sense? It's, um, uh, I've noticed in my own work a great difference. Um, the more I'm able to, to get the connecting link, the more I can see how people are able to follow um, um, as these messages are presented. So that's the principle of, of repetition and enlargement. And the beautiful thing is that when you preach an evangelistic series, a prophecy series, for example, that many of the prophecies, in fact, all of the prophecies, really they are uh, given in such a way that they build upon each other. Let's say you take the Daniel chapter 2 prophecy and you'll remember the various kingdoms that are represented there. If you then go to Daniel chapter 7, you have again the kingdoms represented, but then not in an image as in Daniel chapter 2, but you might remember in, uh, they're represented by beasts coming up out of the sea, Right? And then in Daniel chapter 8, you again have beasts representing kingdoms. And then in Daniel chapter 9, you have uh, another prophecy, but it is very much connected with the prophecy in Daniel 8. And so there's this beautiful chain of truth in the prophecies where you can bring also every time Christ into the picture of these prophecies and they build upon each other. Um, it is very, uh, very interesting to... Um, to build up a series of presentations in this way. Now, if you're saying to yourself, well, I'm not, I'm not, I've never preached an evangelistic series and I came to the seminar because I want to learn how to do that for the first time, uh, then I would suggest that um, you, you take a, a Bible um, study set or a um, uh, or there are actually different, different sets that you can get of Bible studies, and you look at how it is done there, and from those sets of Bible studies, you can actually make presentations, public presentations. You can put your own illustrations in there. You can, you put, your, you can you know, put more Bible or less Bible. You can change the Bible verses somewhat, or you can personalize it. And yet, Bible study sets can be a great help for you to see the buildup of certain topics and themes. So that, would, that I would just uh, strongly uh, recommend. In that sense, you know, we don't, you don't have to invent the wheel. Um, you don't have to invent uh, all these new ways. There are already uh, plenty of examples that we can follow. Um, also, by um, looking at other uh, evangelistic series, we can learn of how other evangelists have built it up. And from there, we can also learn how, how we can do it in our own series. And so I would, I would highly recommend that. Now... When we are presenting the message, it is really like we are painting a picture. Think about it for a moment. Every topic that you're presenting in, a, in, a, in an evangelistic series, and it, it, is, it is like building up, it is building up, and it is centered in Christ, and what you are actually doing is like you are adding colors, adding colors to an amazing picture of who God really is. 
It is like, it is putting the picture of God on display. Think about it in that way. You know, in this world today, there is a misrepresentation of who God is. Yes or no? I mean, when you go out and, 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 you, um, and you just spend time with people and you ask them spiritual questions, you will find out very quickly that there is a huge misunderstanding as to the character of God. And let's say I would go out into the streets of Linz here, and I would take a little survey, and I would ask people to describe to me God. And let's say I would ask 10 different people to describe to me God. It could well be that I would get 10 different answers, right? We're living in a world today where, where it seems that, you know, people have made their own picture of God. You know, in Scripture, there's this, illustra- or there's this analogy uh, in the book of Jeremiah, the prophet, And the Lord says to Jeremiah, go to the potter's house. And Jeremiah goes to the potter's house, and he watches the potter at work as he's forming, molding, and fashioning the clay. And then the Lord says to Jeremiah, cannot I do with you as this potter does to the clay? So God is communicating that he wants to do with the house of Israel what the potter was doing to the clay. Like in scripture, you and I are represented by the clay and God is represented as the potter. And so God forms us and he makes us into his image. That's what he wants. Remember, if we go all the way back to the book of Genesis, when mankind was first created, when you look at the creation of Adam, Adam was not spoken into existence, but how did he come into existence? God himself stooped down, and the picture is just incredible. I mean, if there's some scene in scripture where I go, I I wish I could have seen that. This is one of them. I wish I could have seen God form Adam of the dust of the ground, and then he breathes his own breath And man becomes a living soul. Absolutely astonishing. God is the potter. It's almost like you can see it before you. And he's forming the dust. He forms the clay. He forms us into his image. Now, what has happened today is there is a distortion of truth. There is a misunderstanding of the character of God. And what has happened is that we have turned this picture upside down and now man has become the potter and God has become the clay. Right? And so we form God in our image instead of allowing God to form us in his image. And what evangelism is all about is to present God for the one that he truly is. Because the world has made their own image of God. This person says, ah, my God is like this because this is how I want him to be. And another person says, well, I don't like your picture of God, but this is my picture of God. And man has become the potter. God has become the clay. But evangelism, in public evangelism, as we present message after message after message in a beautiful, organized, structural, growing message of truth and presenting Christ, we are presenting God for the one that he truly is. We are putting him on display. We are allowing God to be the potter, and are we allowing the truth to change us and form us and fashion us so that we are the clay? Amen? So that gives you, that gives you a little bit of a, a, a picture 
as we talk about the message and its presentation. You and I, we are going to work as, 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 as we could say in a, in a figurative, spiritually way speaking here, as painters. We are painting a picture of God and a picture that the world has not seen, a picture that has been lost. Because there are, what I see today is that the reason why many people turn away from God is because they have misunderstood him. They don't know who he is, who he really is. I've had discussions with people that that turn away from God because they cannot fathom that there's a God that would burn people in hell forever and ever. And there there is not such a God, amen? And so it is painting a picture of God that is so compelling that people will be drawn to it. And this is in every single page of Scripture. Every page of Scripture is a new picture of God. And an evangelistic series, you are allowing God to use you to paint a picture of God that is compelling and that draws people to God. Jesus says, if I am lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. And that was signifying by what death he would die. So if we put Christ in the center... Christ crucified in the center of our messages, we are promised in the word that it will have a drawing power. Amen? We are promised. Now, I put it here a little example here um, of an evangelistic series that I actually preached earlier this year uh, to give you a little bit of an idea of, of how you can build up a sequential um, presentation series. Now, a, a little disclaimer before we go into this. It is not that you have a standard package, and I spoke about this a little bit earlier this morning. It's not that we have a standard package of meetings, of presentations, that we just take like, this is it, and I do it in this city, and I do it in this city, and I do it in this country, and I do it in this country, and it always works. It's not like you have this magical build-up, if I present this message first, and this one afterwards, and this one afterwards, it's success guaranteed. That's not the case. As a matter of fact, it is very important that we consider our audience. We talked about that this morning in, 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 in preparing for an evangelistic series. We see, okay, what kind of people am I dealing with? I would preach very differently in India, let's say, than in America or Europe. I mean, it's a very different audience. And so we don't have a standard set of messages. And yet, we do have the truth of God's word that, of course, um, transcends cultures and backgrounds and traditions and people, different people uh, groups. Uh, and that truth can be packaged in different ways to make it understandable for the congregation that you're meeting. And so you need prayer. You need preparation. But this example that I'm showing you is um, an evangelistic series that I did in Europe. And since we're doing this seminar here in Europe, uh, I thought I would share it with you. And this does not mean that this is exactly how you have to do it. And sometimes I do it very different than the one that I have up here on the screen. But it's just an example of how you can build these messages and connect them. Um, earlier this year, I did one in Copenhagen in 2000, 2012, February 2012. Um, and this series, I started with the topic, Unlocking Bible Prophecy, an Introduction to Prophecy. Um, the title of the message was Unlocking Bible Prophecy. And basically in the first message, what I did is uh, the groundwork of um, introducing people to Bible prophecy. And um, I... 
I made it Christ-centered. I showed that Christ was central in the various prophecies. Now, I didn't go into any of the prophecies particular, but it was more like a bird's perspective, like a big picture of, of, of what prophecy is and how God has given us understanding in it and so and so, kind of laying the foundation. Uh, then on the second evening, I... I went into Prophetic Symbols and the Future of This world, world, that was the title, and that was a, a study of Daniel chapter 2. Now, if you're going to start for your first time to do an evangelistic series, I would, um, I would actually recommend uh, Daniel 2 as a good topic. Now, again, it doesn't have to be everywhere, doesn't have to be always, there are times that you would change it, but Daniel 2 is an easy topic to present. And so if you haven't done an evangelistic series before and you want to do it for the first time, I would recommend that because the chapter itself is just, it, it's already there. The content is already there in the chapter. It's a matter of taking it and presenting it in bits and pieces before the people. And, um, and so it's a good topic um, to begin with. And then I went into uh, the return of the king, fact or fiction. That was a presentation on the second coming. And so you see here, introduction to Bible prophecy, Daniel chapter 2. Well, Daniel chapter 2 comes in the end of that prophecy to the coming of the stone. The, when the stone hits the image, it's the second coming of Christ. And so naturally, the next evening, we went into the second coming and uh, what that's all about. Uh, then we went into a chaotic world. Where is God? We covered the great controversy. Now, the great controversy is probably one of my favorite topics. And in the great controversy, I find it also, it allows uh, for the message of salvation to be very central. And so in the topic of uh, a chaotic world, where is God, the great controversy, you bring in, you know, um, uh, the, the work of the enemy, the work of Christ, and, and the center, in the center of it all is the cross. And the question, why is there so much suffering in the world? If God is a God of love, why is there so much evil? And then you show the outworking of evil, but then the plan that God had for this world. And so that is, um, in this series, it was the, uh, the fourth night. And uh, then we went into Antichrist Unmasked, uh, revelation of the... Um, of the Antichrist, Daniel 7 and Revelation 13 was the content of that evening. Then we went into the greatest religious cover-up, which is actually a message on the law and the Sabbath, but the, um, the um, so to say, the, the, the way that it was presented was from the first angel's message. And so from the first angel's message, we moved into the law on the Sabbath and then to the second angel's message and then to the third angel's message. Now, when you look at that, you might think, wow, that's quite, that seems very compact to have one night the first angel's message, one night the second angel's message, one night the third angel's message. Um, in this series, what we did is um, we took the teachings of Jesus, like we looked at earlier uh, in the, uh, today, and we dispersed these teachings of Jesus into these messages so that it actually um, became not only a revelation of a beast power and um, a Babylon and the mark of the beast and things like this, but very Christ-centered in his teachings and showing the contrast between the teachings of Jesus and the teachings of the powers of this world. And um, so um, that was the, um, let's see, let's count them here. One, two, three, four, five. That was night number six, seven, and eight. And then we moved into what happens when a person dies presentation on the state of the dead. 
then we went into one hell of a lie, the truth about hell, uh, the Israel prophecy, God's true movement throughout time, and then a prophetic perspective, which was on the millennium and Revelation 22 and 20, uh, 20 and tw to 22. Now, this was a short series. This was a series of 12. Um, I think I would say at this time that I prefer doing shorter series because um, it is easier for people to come to a shorter series. I've, I've noticed that if you have a long evangelistic series over many evenings and many weeks, it is a great challenge to keep um, people coming. And uh, so lately I've been working with more shorter series and um, even if you want to cover more material, it's, it's better to do a short series and then to come back and do another short series and another short series and, and, and have more of a cycle of evangelism going over a longer period of time, but it's not too condensed into a short period of time with many meetings. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in our last session when we look at um, um, keeping the interest and how to have that cycle uh, of evangelism. But that's just an example. Again, I want to say, you know, this is not, the, this is not how you have to do it, but this is just um, an example. Well, look at this, Evangelism, page 205. This is an interesting one, an interesting quotation here. Because as we preach the message, there are some helpful aids that we can have to catch the attention of people. And it says the following. Uh, talking about a, an evangelist here, Elder S., is arousing a good interest by his meetings People of all classes come out to hear and to see the life-size images that he has of the beasts of Revelation. A great many Catholics come to hear him. So she's writing here about an evangelist, and can, just, just try to get a mental picture here, that on the stage he has these life-size beasts of Daniel and Revelation. Can you imagine? And the interest was great. It says, a many Catholics came to hear him. Now, in our day today, um, of course, when Ellen White wrote this, she, um, there was no PowerPoint around. But I would say that a great aid today is, is PowerPoint. Now, PowerPoint is not to be your presentation. It is to support your presentation. And there's a big difference between that. You see, if you have PowerPoint and all your congregation is looking at the PowerPoint and you're kind of standing like this and you're not really looking at your congregation and you're just clicking and reading, the people are, are, are not going to, you know, they're going to be distracted. They're going to be, you're not going to, you're not going to keep the attention PowerPoint is to support your meetings, but it's not to take over your meetings and be the presentation itself. And uh, so I would recommend um, in a public series to, to use it if you feel so, but let it be a support to you rather than um, that, it's, that it is the main focus of everything. And so before we go to our last point here, just uh, let us just summarize a little bit of what we've looked at so far in this presentation. When we are preaching an evangelistic series, we're not just preaching some loose doctrines that are not connected. We're not just preaching some good ideas about how a person can change their lives. No, we are preaching the truth, which is the way Jesus Christ, and he brings all these topics together. And so when we make Christ the center, it is like a chain of truth. And one topic builds upon the other topic, upon the other topic. And so we have this principle, and we see this chain of truth, repetition and enlargement, 
Something is repeated and enlarged, repeated and enlarged. And we allow this picture of God to emerge, which will draw people to him. And so it is our task to, to, to present who God really is, to put him on display as potter. And we are the clay to be formed and molded by him, the potter. And then as we do so, we can use the aids that are available for us, whether it be life-sized images on the stage or PowerPoint or other things, but may the main focus of your messages be the Word of God, the Word of God, because this is where, this is your authority. This is where ultimately it has to come from. This is what's going to be the testing point upon which everything rests. Now, before we close and move into our final session, I want to deal a little bit here with preaching with enthusiasm. And you know, I've, I've, I've discovered myself in, in the evangelistic series that I've, that, I've, that I've done that what is so important is that you can present something with confidence, with confidence, that you can actually be enthusiastic about something and that you know that it's not just, you know, some, some lofty idea or just some truth that can be a nice addition to someone's life, but that you have the enthusiasm and the confidence that you know that what you are presenting is the truth of the universe, in the entire universe. That you are presenting something that changes a person's life, not only for here and now, but for eternity. And so, to preach with enthusiasm is in many ways decisive. You will see it to be decisive in, in your preaching. I want you to take notice of, um, I have actually a couple of quotations here, again, mostly taken from the book of evangelism, as to enthusiastic preaching or preaching with confidence. Take notice of these, these quotations. I, um, yeah, they're just very inspiring to me. Uh, this is taken from Evangelism, page 179. It says the following. On a certain occasion, when Betterton, the celebrated actor, was dining with Dr. Sheldon, Archbishop of Canterbury, the Archbishop said to him, pray, Mr. Betterton, tell me why it is that you actors affect your audience so powerful by speaking of things imaginary. My Lord, replied Betterton, with due submission to your grace, permit me to say the reason is plain. It all lies in the power of what? The power of enthusiasm. We on the stage speak of things imaginary as if they were real. And you in the pulpit speak of things real as if they were imaginary. Isn't that, isn't that incredible? Have you ever sat through a sermon and it just absolutely seemed imaginary. You see, preaching must become real. I mean, if we have an enthusiasm and a confidence, we must be able to present it in such a way that we absolutely believe it. It's not just some good idea. It's the truth of the universe. It's the truth that can transform a person's life here and throughout eternity. That changes our whole perspective. That doesn't mean that we have to dance around and become an actor. That's not what it's saying. But an enthusiasm is birthed in a conviction and a confidence that this message is real, that it's real. It's not some imaginary thing. Listen to what it says here, also from the book Evangelism, page 168. The manner in which the truth is presented 
often has much to do in determining whether it will be, whether it will be accepted or rejected. The manner in which the truth is presented often has much to do in determining whether it will be accepted or rejected. I mean, if we present it in a lifeless way, in just a way as if it's, yeah, it's imaginary, then it's not going to have the impact upon the people's lives. But if we truly believe it ourselves, and we can present it with confidence in the person Jesus Christ, we will see that people will take it to heart and the potter will start doing its work in forming and molding their lives. This is from Evangelism, page 169. It says, we need to break up the monotony, monotony of our religious labor. We are doing a work in the world, but we are not showing enough activity and zeal. If we were more in earnest, men would be convinced of the truth of our message. The tameness and monotony of our service for God repels many who are looking to see in us a deep, earnest, sanctified zeal. Legal religion will not answer for this age. We're talking about engaging the age. Legal religion will not answer for this age. We may perform all the outward acts of service and yet be as destitute of the quickening influence of the Holy Spirit as the hills of Gilboa were destitute of dew and rain. We need spiritual moisture and we need also the bright beams of the Son of Righteousness to soften and subdue our hearts. You know, when Christ comes into the message, when the Holy Spirit works through you, a difference will be seen. And we all have our own way of presenting things, but if we present it with confidence and conviction, and we present it in a way that we truly believe it ourselves, it will have an impact. The Holy Spirit will work through us, and it will have an impact upon the lives of the people that will be coming to hear the truth of God. And so, to come out of the tameless preaching, we need the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And you know, there is no limit to the usefulness of one that by putting self aside allows room for the Holy Spirit to work. Inspiration tells us. If we put self aside, there's no limit. God will fill us with his Holy Spirit and we will speak with confidence and conviction and souls will be drawn to the Son of Righteousness. Here, this is taken from Evangelism, page 180. Also, this talks, this talks about the preparation that is needed. Listen to this. It, it says, when you hurry from one thing to another, when you have so much to do that you cannot take time to talk with God, how can you expect power in your work? The reason so many of our ministers preach tame, lifeless discourses is that they allow a variety of things of a worldly nature to take their time and attention. In other words, they are not well prepared. And so there are so many other things that take their time and attention that, you know, um, then comes the time for the public evangelistic sermon or, or the sermon on Sabbath or whatever it may be. And then it's like Friday evening or the evening before. They're writing the discourse. They're writing the sermon. They have not taken the time to communicate with God. You see, before we communicate with people, we need to communicate with God. 
And as we communicate with God in prayer, he fills us with his spirit. And as we looked at earlier in this presentation, like the, in the, it says in the book of Ecclesiastes, we go and we, and we put words in order. We put the message in order. We structure it. We've, we make sure Christ is in the center. We pray for the Holy Spirit to work through us. And then we take that message. And with confidence and boldness and enthusiasm, and in our own personal way, which is different from each of us, we present it and God will start doing the forming of the lives. He will become the potter and we will all become the clay and we will be formed by his word, by the picture that is put on display. And when it comes to the, the way of presenting evangelism, you know, there's not a, or the way of preaching, there's not a standard way because, you know, the beautiful thing is that we're all very unique people and God can use each of us. So it's not like that he can use only one kind of person. He wants to use all in presenting the truth. And the beautiful thing is that your unique personality is chosen by God for you to be a vessel and a blessing to others. And so we don't have to play someone else when we're presenting the word. We can be ourselves with confidence and God will work through us. He will work through our personality when it is sanctified and given to him and it's controlled by the Holy Spirit. Amen? That's good. That's very good to know. We can, we can gain confidence from that. We don't need to, you know, there are, there are preachers that are very, that are walking to and fro and, 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 and others that are just standing in one spot and, and there's no certain way it has to be done. There's not one method that works and one that doesn't. But be yourself. Do, do what is natural for you to do and allow the Holy Spirit to work through you and he will give you success. When you are confident, when you are enthusiastic, and when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, the word of God will come alive and God will use you to paint this beautiful picture of who he truly is. And as you are speaking, God is like the potter molding the lives of those people in the congregation and in the audience. It's a beautiful thought. The word of God is having the power that it's supposed to have. From the beginning, God spoke things into existence. The word is not diminished in power today. As we talk about engaging the age, the word of God has the same power today that it had 6,000 years ago when God said, let there be light, and there was light. It has the same power today. And we can take that word and we can allow it to, to, to change us and we can in turn allow it to change others as we speak the, these words of life to them. I want you to take notice of this quotation here also from evangelism. You see, we're using the book evangelism a lot here and I just recommend that um, as you uh, continue to, to, um, to read and to study uh, and to prepare for, for public evangelism, this is a book that I highly recommend, along with another book, and that is Gospel Workers. Evangelism, Gospel Workers. Excellent, excellent resources. It says, there is a living power in truth, and the Holy Spirit is the agent that opens human minds to the truth. But the ministers and workers who proclaim the truth must show certainty and decision. They are to go forth in faith and present the word, listen very carefully, as though they believed it. Present the word as though you believe it. And I can be very, I can say to you from a very 
personal, in a very personal way here, that, you know, I have had times that I am preaching the message and the enemy tempts, you know, the enemy tempts. You're presenting a certain topic and the enemy is tempting you with, this, this doesn't make sense and, and the people are not going to, they're not going to believe this and how could you say this and, but what we need to do is we need to, at those moments, cling to Christ and cling to his word and pray for boldness and confidence and enthusiasm. Amen? That we, that we study the word and it becomes so much part of us that it is just the natural over outflowing of what we have studied when we're presenting it to others. It is, just come, it is like we, we talked about in our first session. You find a treasure and what do you do with the treasure? You put it on display. You are so, you are so captured by the word that that's what you want to share. There is a joy in sharing. And so the enemy will at times try to whisper into your conscience, into your life that why are you doing this? You know, this doesn't make sense or, or um, people are not going to get this and, it, you know, are you sure that this is true? My friends, at such times, let's go on our knees in prayer. Let's go to the word and study it and dwell upon the person Jesus Christ. Let him fill our lives so that as we step forward, as we step in front of people in a public setting to communicate the most beautiful truths of the universe, let us do that with confidence and boldness. And let's do it with enthusiasm. You know the word enthusiasm is interesting. It comes from the word theos, which is God. Enthusiasm is actually to be filled with God. Isn't that a beautiful word? Enthusiasm. You know, we think of the joy. It's to be filled with God. That's true enthusiasm. God wants to fill you so you can work for him. I want to, start, I want to close this session with an experience that I had a couple of years ago. Um, this is actually a picture that you see on the screen here from uh, Kenya in East Africa. And uh, my wife and I, we traveled there and we preached an evangelistic series. And as we preached this evangelistic series, um, it was open air as you see on the screen here. And uh, we had our PowerPoint, and I had all my slides that were ready. I had my Bible. I had my notes. And uh, things were going well. And we came to the end of this evangelistic series, and I was planned to travel to another district in Kenya, and I was going to preach a second evangelistic series. Now, the last evening, as we closed off this series, and, the, and, and, and we were about to travel to the new area, that night, we... Uh, the place where we were staying, um, early, early in the morning, in the morning hours, three men broke into the home, and they had, they had machetes with them, and they went from room to room, and they robbed us completely. And um, my wife and I, we were sleeping in a room, and they came in, and for some reason that I still don't fully understand till today, I didn't wake up, and I think it was the protection of the Lord, because what do you do when you wake up in such a situation? You wouldn't know. And so, there was a, it's like God put a deep sleep on me. We didn't wake up. They took all our belongings. They took, they took the projector. They took the computer. They took, the, they, they took my Bible. I hope they read it. And they left, and we had, we, I had nothing. And so, just some clothes that were left. They took our money, our passports. And I thought to myself, as they were gone, we got together as a team, and I thought to myself, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? There's this other place that is waiting for us to come to preach an evangelistic series, and here we are with nothing. 
And uh, I remember we went to the police station there and, and we had to report the things that we had lost. And so the policeman is sitting on the other side of the table and he says to me, now, what is the most expensive thing that you have lost? And I said, my Bible. And uh, he, of course, understood that. And then, he, and then he said, what else have you lost? And I said, my computer, my projector, my money. And so he understood, okay, that, that's, that's an emotional value that you've lost there. But it was true that for me, it was my Bible. It was the Bible that I got at my conversion. It's not this Bible that I have here, here with me. It was a Bible that I had noted dates of events, of, of things that happened, of God giving me promises. It was, you know, the books of Daniel and Revelation, there was hardly any white spot there. I'd made all these notes in the margins. It was very precious. That Bible become, became, you know, it was like a friend. And uh, it was gone. It was gone. Not only was the Bible gone, the computer was gone with all my slides, all my PowerPoint presentations. My notes were gone. I had no notes for my presentation. And I thought to myself, what are we going to do? And of course, first we thought, let's get the first flight home. But then we thought to ourselves, well, that's not what Paul would do. I mean, Paul, when he went forth preaching, at one time he was beaten, at one time he was stoned, at one time he was shipwrecked, but he always continued. And so we thought to ourselves, here we are robbed of our belongings, and yet there is another place to be reached. There's another place that is waiting for us to come and preach the message. And so we decided to go on, and, to, and, and, and I borrowed a Bible from a friend because my Bible had been stolen. And it was this little pocket Bible. And, I was, and at one moment, I was, I was standing with that little pocket Bible. And one of the other Bible workers, he walks up and he sees me kind of standing there with the little pocket Bible, probably looking a bit sad. And he said to me, Daniel, you know what? You should never, never forget that David slew Goliath with a very little stone. And so I took, I took, that, Bi I took that Bible and... We moved to, uh, first actually we went to Nairobi, which is the capital of, um, of Kenya. And this was actually the Sabbath, just after we had been robbed. And I was supposed to preach in one of the largest church, well, the largest church in Kenya. Um, this church has about between three and 4,000 members. And here I am, no notes, and I have just little pocket Bible. And I can tell you that in this moment of the greatest dependence, God worked in a way that he had not worked when I had PowerPoint and notes and everything else. You know, it, was, it is when you become so dependent on God that his strength becomes perfect in your weakness. And we traveled on and we went to, this is a picture of where the place where we went afterwards, and I preached an entire evangelistic series, you know, without notes, without PowerPoint, and with this little pocket Bible that I got from a friend, and yet I could sense that the Holy Spirit was working through me because I was dependent on him. His strength was made perfect in my weakness. And why I share this with you is because in the end, when it comes to public evangelism, when it comes to preaching the word, it's not about all the methods and all the equipment and all the right ways and all that has a place. But in the end, it's about dependence on God. Can someone say amen to that? It's upon dependence on God, allowing God to use you. And when you become so dependent on him, when everything else is taken from you, God will show his strength through you and you will become a vessel for him and people will be brought to the Lord. People will be brought to the Lord. John Wesley 
which preached to thousands and thousands in England, he said the following, God puts me on fire and people come to watch me burn. We need to pray that God will put us on fire for him, amen? We need to pray that the the fire of the Holy Spirit may fill us, that his word will fill us, and so that we can present a picture of God centered in his word, and that God may become the potter that will form our lives. Let's pray in closing. Heavenly Father, thank you for being with us. Lord, thank you for giving us divine counsel as to how we can prepare a message, how we can present a message. Lord, I pray that some of the things that were shared this afternoon will be helpful for us. Lord, I pray that you'll be with us as we seek to present your truth wherever you may bring us. I pray that you will fill us with your Holy Spirit and give us a boldness, a confidence, and an enthusiasm for you. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, welcome to our fourth and final session in this seminar, Engaging the Age, Reviving the Evangelistic uh, Campaign. And uh, what we want to do in our final session together is talking about keeping the interest. And I think this is often a neglected area when it comes to public evangelism. You know, we, we prepare the evangelistic series, we conduct the evangelistic series, and then, you know, the evangelist is off to a new area, a new place, and uh, the church is left there and don't really know what to do with the people that have been reached. And so ultimately the people are, you know, they, they, they lose the contact with them. They are not brought into the church fellowship in the, the way they should. So um, uh, I think this is a very important um, area, a, a very important work in um, follow-up in keeping the interest. And so that's a little bit what we want to look at uh, this afternoon in our final session. So uh, what have we seen so far? We've looked in our first session at public evangelism and its relevance today. We've looked at preparing to share, how to organize, how to plan an evangelistic series. In our last session, we looked at the message and its presentation, how to build up an evangelistic series and how to present it. And then now we want to look at keeping the interest. Now, there's two things I want to look at in this um, last session, and that is the cycle of evangelism and the personal work. Now, uh, when you look at public evangelism, it is not like an ev- a one-time event, like, okay, I have this series of presentations over the course of two, three, four weeks, and then that is the event, and now it's over. We should, more, we should look at evangelism more as a cycle, as a continuance, as a lifestyle. And uh, in order for, for evangelism to have true um, success and the effect that it should have upon uh, the lives of those we are seeking to reach, uh, we need to understand that the nature of evangelism as being a cycle. And also what comes into that is the personal work. I mean, we cannot detach that and say, okay, here we have public evangelism and here we have personal evangelism. Actually, it belongs together. And public evangelism will only have uh, true success when we unite it with the personal work, with interacting with men and women, going to their homes and studying the Bible with them. So we we want to look at, uh, first of all, at the um, cycle of evangelism. Then we'll get a little bit more into um, the personal work and what that entails. Um, I want to begin with John chapter 6. 
And in John chapter 6, Jesus um, preaches a very strong message. Um, he uses the analogy that uh, his followers must eat his flesh and drink his blood. In other words, they must partake of him completely. They must be fully surrendered to him. Um, as he being, uh, him being the Messiah. And when he presents that to a, a large amount of people there in John chapter 6, the Bible tells us that many walked away and no longer followed him. And I want you to take notice of John chapter 6, beginning in verse 66, as I read here. It says, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the 12, listen very carefully, do you also want to go away? So he's speaking to his 12 disciples, and he says, do you also want to go away? I mean, is this also too hard for you? Now, the answer of Peter is remarkable. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So for Peter... There's just nothing else, nothing matches the person Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is like the treasure for Peter, and he cannot imagine anything else. You know, when we present the words of Christ, at times we will have to present things that are hard. I mean, if we don't present things that are hard, we're not really preaching faithfully. If we faithfully present the Word of God as it is, and the present truth for our time, there will be things that are hard for people. As a matter of fact, we will also have people turn away and leave. And yet, what is, what is to be the result of public evangelism and personal evangelism is the very response of Peter, that there will be a truth that will be put on display that will be so longed for like a treasure, that a person will, will, will want to give every, he will be willing, she will be willing to give up everything to obtain that truth. Like Peter, he says, where shall we go? To whom shall we go? Is there any, any other place to go? Is there anything that is of more value than your words? And Jesus Christ has just preached a very strong message, a message that turned away many. And so when we go forth with confidence preaching the word, conducting evangelistic series, public evangelism, there will be things that we will cover that are hard for people to understand. Look at the three angels' messages. I mean, this is present truth for our time, and it really leads people to make decisions that are not the most easy at times. You think about the Sabbath truth. I mean, it's not easy for a person that works on the Sabbath to how, if they, maybe they have to lose their job in order to keep the Sabbath holy. And so there are things that are hard, but at the same time, if we present Christ as that great treasure and we put him on display, then by, by the Spirit of God, as the Spirit of God works upon the people to whom we present these messages, by God's grace, they will have the same, the same attitude as Peter had when he said, to whom shall we go? There's nothing greater, there's nothing better, there's nothing that gives more meaning and purpose in life than the person Jesus Christ. Now, in Evangelism, page 322, it says, too often the work is left in an unfinished state. And in many such cases, it amounts to nothing. You know, in order for a person to cherish the truth as a treasure, 
to cling to the truth and to say, you know, I'm willing to give up everything for this. This is more important than for, for me than anything else. Even though it's a hard thing, I see it as a beautiful thing. In order for a person to come to that point, like Peter in John chapter 6, there must be a thorough work done for that person. That doesn't just happen overnight. But this happens as we work with these person, people on a personal level, level and the Holy Spirit works in their hearts. What oftentimes happens is that the work is broken off at a very critical moment. It says too often the work is left in an unfinished state. And in many cases, it amounts to nothing. Sometimes after a company of people has accepted the truth, the minister thinks that he must immediately go to a new field and sometimes without proper investigation, he is authorized to go. This is wrong. He should finish the work begun, for in leaving it incomplete, more harm than good is done. No field is so unpromising as one that has just, has been cultivated just enough to give the weeds a more luxuriant growth. By this method of labor, many souls have been left to the buffeting of Satan and the opposition of members of other churches who have rejected the truth. And many are driven where they can never again be reached. A minister might better not engage in the work unless he can bind it off thoroughly. That's quite a strong statement. But it's very important for us to consider as we are involved in public evangelism. Because public evangelism, again, is not just an event, but it's really something of a lifestyle. And when you're working with people, we cannot determine that a person on the first evening of an evangelistic series is going to be another, another person that is fully committed to God and his truth and willing to give up everything at the end of the evangelistic series, let's say two or three or four weeks later. Because it takes time and it takes effort and it takes personal work. And so when we're presenting things that are for this world hard, that are, that are challenging, we also must make sure that we're working with people on a personal level so that they can be imbued with the Spirit, have a vision of Christ and see Christ as the treasure that they want more than anything else and that they can come to the point to say like Peter, where else shall we go? I mean, this is so good. This is so beautiful. This is not just truth. Remember what Jeffrey said in his seminar yesterday? This is not just truth. This is beautiful. You know, this is not just something I must do. This is something I want to do. This is a treasure that I long for more than anything else. I'm willing to give up everything to obtain Jesus Christ. He gives me purpose. He gives me meaning. There's nothing more important for me than him. We talked earlier today about the commandments. We look at the commandments and sometimes we think of them as restrictions. We look at the first commandment, uh, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And we think about this we cannot do and this we cannot do and this we cannot do. My friends, it's a promise. God says you will not have any gods if you have me. You won't need anything else. I will fill every longing of your soul. And when we can invest this, when we can instill this into the people that we work with, this will, be transform this will bring a transformation, an absolute transformation. When people become so engaged 
in the scriptures, when they see the picture of Christ and the person of Christ, they will start longing him for, for him more than anything else. He will become the treasure, and they will say like Peter, where else shall we go? You will present hard things at times, but they will say, where else shall we go? This is the way I have determined to live my life. But again, this happens through prayer. This happens through personal work. This happens through a time in which this person is brought closer and closer and closer to Christ. And so we have the cycle of evangelism that we want to talk about. Now, um, in Luke chapter 10 and verse 1 and 2, we get this idea, this uh, analogy here of uh, the work of God being likened unto um, unto a, 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 a field of, of a vineyard or a, a garden, so to speak, and um, the, um, the truth is being the seeds that are being sown and the ultimate harvest or the reaping of that harvest are souls saved into the kingdom. This picture is a biblical picture that is given us in Scripture. Let's just look at Luke chapter 10 here and verse 1 and 2. It says, After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also, and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Then he said to them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So, as we look at the cycle of evangelism, I want you to get, to get this picture in your mind of a garden or a field, and um, when you are going to work in a field and you want to, a, to, to ultimately have a harvest, you ultimately want to reap a harvest, there's some work that goes into that. We talked about this in our first sessions, you know, uh, sowing with tears and reaping with joy. There's a hard work that goes into the preparation of the soil, the sowing of the seeds, the removing of weeds, the nurturing of the plants, the watering of the plants. All these things go on until that great day comes when you can harvest the crops. And so it is also in evangelism, there's a cycle of evangelism, and there are not just certain parts that we can just skip and go to the nice part of harvesting a soul. There is some work to be done, and in this cycle, we are to involve the church, we are to involve the team we are working with, because there are many aspects and things that need to be done in order for people to be brought forth to Christ. They are to enter into this fellowship of believers. Now, thinking of this picture of a field or a garden, first of all, what needs to be done is there needs to, we need to prepare the ground. And uh, basically, um, when you're talking about a literal garden or a literal field, rocks and weeds are removed, the earth is tilt. Um, when we look at this in, um, in a public evangelism, we looked a little bit in our second session, um, there are practical things that need to be prepared in order for a public evangelistic series to take place. Uh, we looked in our second session at some of those things. You know, we need to determine who we're going to work with. We need to determine where we are, where we are going to uh, work, who are we going to work for. Um, we need to determine um, the city, the audience that we're going to reach, um, how we're going to promote this series, how we're going to pay for this series, the budget. There are so many things, the Bible worker, uh, many things, literature. Um, there are a lot of things in the preparation, just like preparing the ground or a garden, there are a lot of things that need to be done before you sow the seed. 
So this is, this is the preparation. Now, the preparation is very practical, but it's also spiritual. Prayer. Prayer is the preparation for this work. And then you have the sowing of the seed. The sowing of the seed. And um, in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 22 and 23, listen to what it says. It says, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth, through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another freak, uh, fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. Now, we think of what is the seed then that we are sowing. The seed is the Word of God. So, the ground is prepared the preparations are made for an evangelistic series, both practical and spiritual preparations. And then we come to that moment where we're going to share the word. We come to that first night of the evangelistic series. It's always that exciting moment. How many people are going to come? What kind of people are going to come? How is it going to go? And, and you get up, and in confidence, you preach the word of God. And as you are preaching the word of God, just imagine that as you are preaching, the words that you are sharing from Scripture are like seeds being sown in the hearts and minds of your audience, of the people. That's an amazing thought when you look at this analogy of the field, of the garden, this cycle of evangelism. You are sowing the seeds of the incorruptible word. And this is a word that lives and abides forever. And this seed, well, it will land on different, in different um, people, on different people, just like the seed lands on different type of, of, of ground. As a matter of fact, there's a parable in Mark chapter 4. Listen to what it says. This is so, um, this speaks so much to, to, uh, to evangelism today when you really take this parable and, and we, we unfold it in, in, in a... Um, in the evangelistic setting uh, of, of preaching. Look at what it says, Mark chapter 4, uh, beginning in verse 2. Then he taught them many things by parables and said to them in his teaching, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scourged, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased, and produced. Some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. And he said to them, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So the picture emerges here of a sower that goes forth to sow seed, and he's, he's spreading the seed, and yet it is landing on all these different grounds. Someone's landing on the rock, and, and, and nothing is really sprouting up, or it's sprouting up for a moment, but then it withers away. Other, the other seed is being eaten by the birds, and other seed lands on, but there's some seed that lands on good ground, on good soil, and it springs up and produces a harvest. Now, right in the same parable, Jesus explains the parable, and in his explanation, he shows how the cares of this world and the enemy and other things are removing the seed of truth so it doesn't land in the place it should. You see, when we are preaching the word of God, it is like sowing the seed. 
but it's going gonna, it's gonna to find a place. It's going to find a place on stony ground. It's going to find a place on good soil. It's gonna f we don't know the results, but we are spreading the seed. And the result will, will be dependent upon where that seed falls. Now, if it falls, if, if the Word of God comes to a person that is ready to hear the truth or willing to hear the truth, it will produce a harvest. But if it lands on someone that for a moment is open to that truth, but then turns away from it when it becomes hard, just like in John chapter 6 when the hard things were spoken uh, and Jesus um, uh, revealed what his true messiahship was all about, many people turned away from him. And, and so what our task is to sow the seed, to preach the word, but we will not know what kind of soil the seed falls on. We will not know exactly what it's going to do in the hearts of the people, but we must nonetheless sow the seed and preach the word. Now, in order to have a successful evangelistic series, we want as many people in our audience that we have worked with before so that their hearts are prepared to receive those messages. In other words, when you look at it, evangelism, public evangelism, is in many ways a um, harvesting event. Because if we have prepared the ground well, if Bible workers have been active, if church members have been active in giving personal Bible studies to people, in reaching out to their neighbors and friends and colleagues, and studying the Bible with them, and preparing them, and then you hold an evangelistic series, and you invite these people, and they have already been exposed to truth. They have already been receiving um, Bible studies. When they come to the evangelistic series, they're going to come with already a motivation that they want to learn from God's Word. And when they come, and then from a public setting, the truth is spread, like the seeds, it's going to fall on good ground. And the Bible says that the good, when it falls on good ground, it produces a harvest. Now, in other ways, evangelism, so that's when evangelism is a harvest event, but in other ways, evangelism at times is a sowing event because maybe just someone comes off from the street and receives a flyer and says, well, I have nothing to do tonight. Oh, this seems interesting. I'll go in and listen. Or someone is invited but doesn't really, you know, doesn't really have an interest but comes along because of the invitation. There, there are so many reasons for a person to sit in an evangelistic uh, meeting. And we don't know those reasons. Now, and in those instances that I just mentioned, then in many ways it's a sowing event in the sense that it's the very first time that they're receiving the word. And that word will, will um, hopefully, by God's grace, take root in them and produce fruit. Now, at times it will not. At times it will be cast away or, you know, like in the parable, it will fall on stone, it will be eaten uh, by the birds or it, somehow it loses. It's, it's, the power is in the Word. The power is always in the Word, but the power of the Word is also dependent upon what kind of soil it falls and what kind of heart and mind it is brought into. I hope that makes sense. And so what I'm trying to say here is that in order to, for our evangelism to be successful, in order to, uh, for our evangelism to be um, uh, following the model of God uh, that he has given in his word, is that we are to, as much as possible, 
personally encounter, engage with people. And even though, you know, an evangelist cannot do that alone, that's why you need a congregation, a team, a church. And as we work with individual people, we can prepare them for an evangelistic series. We can, you know, let me say it this way. When you preach a teaching, and let's say Daniel chapter 2, you preach the prophecy of Daniel chapter 2, when a person hears that for the very first time, they're going to catch certain things, but they're not going to remember it all. It's going, to be, it's going to be interesting, but many times what I've seen is that a person needs to hear it two times, maybe even three times, maybe even a fourth time before it really sinks into their hearts and minds the significance of that teaching. And that's why what is very good in public evangelism, if you have church members, Bible workers, and people engaging the city, engaging the town, giving Bible studies to people, visiting them, engaging them, and then having an evangelistic series after a certain period of, let's say, a year or whatever it may be, that you have been engaging the city in various ways. You can also have health seminars, different seminars to prepare the people. It's like in the cycle of evangelism, in the garden um, analogy, um, you are preparing the ground. You're removing the stones, removing the weeds, tilting the ground, and preparing for the sower to come in and sow the seed, Right? And so that preparation will give you a, a greater success when the, when the actual um, series begins. Now, let us look at Acts chapter 2. And I want to show you here in Acts chapter 2 uh, a picture of um, the ideal uh, church um, of, of, of fellowship into which we can invite new believers. Now, if we follow this blueprint of Acts chapter 2, evangelism will take on a whole new dimension. It will take on a whole new dimension. Now, listen to what it says in, in, in the book of Acts. It says, And they continued steadfastly in the, in the apostles' doctrine and, what is the next word? Fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Now, the picture you get of the church in the first century, and I know not everything was perfect as we heard in the message of David Asherick. Um, they, were, they were, you know, common people. Um, and yet, something that was very strong in this, in, in this early church is that they had a fellowship. They were together. And you know what? The, the best evangelistic series are the evangelistic series that you can do with a church or with a ministry or with a team that is a strong fellowship. Because you're not just bringing truth to a person so that that person can have a better life and, and just have kind of be encapsulated by this new truth that they have heard so they can go through life as a single unit. Public evangelism is inviting someone into a fellowship of believers. And that is when we can truly keep the interest. When we invite them into a fellowship of believers where Christ is put on display. And I, I just love these texts here in the book of Acts, this, this blueprint that is given us of such a fellowship. It says that they uh, broke bread together. That means that they shared uh, meals together. They prayed together. Listen to what it says in verse 44. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. Just think about that. There were no needs in the, in, in, among the people because those needs were met by fellow believers. 
They had all things in common. They were a fellowship, a dynamic fellowship. And I can tell you, the church grew so, so fast, mainly because of the power of that fellowship, united, of course, with the power of preaching. It was the power of preaching, which was one side of the coin, but the other side of the coin was a powerful fellowship. And in public evangelism, if we're really going to have um, a good follow-up, a good interest that remains and doesn't just diminish after the series is over, we're going to have to have a powerful fellowship. And that's why um, when we're doing a public evangelistic series, what is so important is that the church comes together and unites in this work and prays unitedly for the success of that work. Because if it's just the evangelist that is going to come in and do all the work, and the rest of the church is just going to, you know, pay the dollars to make it happen, or sit in the congregation but not be involved, then ultimately when the evangelist leaves, what do you think is going to happen? The people are going to leave as well. The people are going to leave as well. But the people are going to stay if they feel welcomed into a fellowship of believers where there is prayer, there is unity, there is the breaking of bread, there is this fellowship both in practical ways and spiritual ways, there is this new life that they have entered into. And I can tell you that I've seen that the most successful public evangelistic campaigns is not necessarily based upon the most successful speaker, but it's more based upon the most successful church that is following this pattern. That is following this pattern. And both elements are important but need to be brought together. It says, so they continued daily with one accord. They were in unity in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, and they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. You know, when I read, when I read the book of Acts there, chapter 2, I just really, I just think to myself, I long to see that. And you know, it's not just something that we can long for. It's something that we can actually experience. It is something to experience. When we open our hearts for God's spirit to work in us. And we reach out to our brothers and sisters in the church. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, such an environment can be created. And when their environment is being created, that is the preparation for souls to be brought in. That is the preparation for a harvest. And then we can go forth and preach the message with boldness, with confidence, with enthusiasm. And through the Holy Spirit, people will be brought in. And they will be brought into this beautiful fellowship. And they will not want anything else. It's like Peter who else shall we follow? Who else shall we go to? It will be like a treasure to them. It says, then those who received, gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, talking about the day of Pentecost, about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Now catch this again. The, the, the key word here is, and they, what is the word? Continued. Continued. You know, so many times today what happens? The evangelist comes, does the evangelistic series, he leaves, and the people are left there. And maybe a couple of people go to church, and they don't, maybe don't really feel so accepted there, and so they leave. And it was a great message that they heard from that evangelist, but the church was kind of boring, and so, you know, they're gone. The picture that here we get here is powerful preaching, preaching with boldness and confidence, but then as they are brought into this fellowship, they continued, continued. 
It didn't stop there. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. They were continuing to learn, to explore, and to find out more about the depth of who God was. That picture became more and more beautiful, more and more clear. The treasure became more and more valuable. And then the fellowship, the fellowship, deep, beautiful fellowship, breaking of bread, sharing of meals, interaction, prayers. This is really what keeps people in the fellowship, in the movement, and in the church of God. So we have this beautiful picture, beautiful picture in the book of Acts as a blueprint for us to follow today. In Acts chapter 2, I think we read this one. I'll just skip over this one. In Desire of Ages, page 195, I want, to, I want you to look at this. As people are brought into, the, um, into a fellowship of believers, what this quotation here says, and what is actually very obvious also in Scripture and in the story of Acts, when a person is brought into the fellowship of believers, that person is immediately becoming a missionary himself or herself. And so those that are coming into the fellowship of God become part of the movement in reaching others. And you know what? I've seen it that when a person is reached, let's say through an evangelistic series, when they give themselves to that truth and they give themselves to Christ and they are baptized and they become part of, of God's movement, of God's church, if they are not if they are not involved in some form of evangelism, that first love is going to leave very quickly. In order for them to, be, to, to keep on to that first love for the message and that first love for what they have discovered, guess what they have to do? They have to display that. They have to show that. In some way or another, as a church, we need to involve them. And this can be in many different ways because there are many different talents and many different ministries. We need to involve them so that they can show that treasure that they have discovered, that they can put that treasure on display, that they can be involved in evangelism. Actually, some of the, some of the most um, dedicated workers for God are often recent converts. I don't know if you've noticed that. They have this, this, this first love, this passion for evangelism. Listen to what it says in Desire of Ages, page 195. It says, every true disciple is born into the kingdom of God as a what? As a missionary. He who drinks of the living water becomes a fountain of life. The receiver becomes a giver. The grace of Christ in the soul is like a spring in the desert welling up to refresh all and making those who are ready to perish eager to drink of the water of life. You see, we, it's very plain. Either we are a missionary or we're a mission field, right? It's one or the other. Either you're a missionary or a mission field. And what happens today is that church members are filling the pews and yet they're not engaged in evangelism and that's why they've lost their first love. In order for a church to be spirit-filled, it must be a church that puts the treasure on display, Christ on display. It must be a church that is actively involved in evangelism using the various talents in the church. You see, we are, Paul describes that the church is like a body, and the body has different members, and every member is needed in the body in order for it to function. And so all 
members in the church are missionaries that are needed and that have their place and that need to be used in order for their first love to continue to grow, to continue to develop. And this picture here in Desire of Ages, it says it so clearly there, every true disciple is born into the kingdom of God as a missionary. And so when we are thinking, when we are um, looking here in this session about keeping the interest, a vital way in which we keep the interest is by involving those that have newly come into the truth. Uh, it's a little bit like the parable that Jesus spoke about in, um, in uh, Matthew chapter 20, where he talks about a landowner that goes into the vineyard, uh, that goes into the marketplace and he's looking for workers for his vineyard. And uh, he goes out early in the morning and he sees workers that are, or actually men that are just standing there idle on the marketplace, and he invites them to become workers in the vineyard, and they join him and they start to work. Then he goes back the third hour, and he goes back the sixth hour, and he goes back the ninth hour, and each time that he comes back, he sees men that are standing there idle, doing nothing in the marketplace, and he invites them to come into the vineyard and work. And then, the, and then in, the, in the parable, uh, he goes out the 11th hour, and still there are men idle in the marketplace, and they're invited to work that last hour, one more hour, and they work in the vineyard. You know, that parable is so, it speaks, it speaks volumes to us today. Because what we see today is, yes, there's a vineyard, and that's the world. And yes, there's a work to be done for Christ. Christ is the landowner. And he's inviting us into his vineyard, into this world to work for him. And many of us, and many of us, many church members are standing idle in the marketplace. They, they, are, they don't know what to do. They have not been invited. And it's up to you and to me, in the name of Jesus Christ, to invite them and to enable them to use their talents for Jesus Christ to use what God has given them as gifts in his ministry. And only when we do that will we see the cycle of evangelism come alive. When we do that, we will see that the, the church of Acts take place today in 2012. We will see how a dynamic fellowship is formed, not by those that just fill the pews, but by those that are actively involved in, ma in many different ministries, praying, caring for the sick, reaching out to the, to the homeless, reaching out to those in need, preaching the gospel personally, publicly, um, all these different ways of evangelism, breaking the bread, sharing meals, praying together, a dynamic fellowship. And then when you do a public evangelistic series, oh, people will come in because they will see that fellowship and they will want to belong to that because it will be something so unique that they've never seen before. The power of public evangelism is not only in the public preaching, it is in the fellowship of the church. The fellowship and the strength of a dynamic, dynamic church. And last but not least, I want to spend a couple of minutes here in uh, talking about the personal work. And of course, this is uh, already something that we've covered a bit here when it comes to a dynamic church that, that involves uh, personal witnessing. A personal work cannot be separated from public work. When we are doing a personal work, we must cooperate with the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit is impressing the hearts of those that we're reaching out to. 
You know, public evangelism is not going to be successful if there's no effort that is done for the personal lives of people that are coming to such a series. And, you know, there are examples in Scripture of Jesus as a public evangelist, and there are examples of him uh, as reaching out to, to men and women on a very personal level. And um, I just love the examples, or I love the stories there in, uh, in John chapter 3 and 4. And, and, and you know, uh, we don't have time to go into the entire story, but it's so unique there because in John chapter 3, Jesus reaches out to Nicodemus in the middle of the night. Nicodemus comes to him, and they are, they are interacting, and Jesus is reaching out to him. And then in the very next chapter, in John chapter 4, Jesus is on his way, and uh, he passes through Samaria, and he comes to Jacob's well, and then he meets there uh, this woman, of which we do not know her name. And Jesus reaches out to her. And so two chapters in the book of John, John chapter 3 and John chapter 4, we have two examples of Jesus and his personal work with individuals. John chapter 3, Nicodemus. John chapter 4, the woman at the well. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this before, but if you look at those two, those two uh, individuals, those two stories, Nicodemus and the woman at the well were if you would just look with human eyes, they were as different as different can get. Look at Nicodemus was a Jew. Nicodemus was rich and wealthy. Nicodemus was a religious authority. He was actually part of the Sanhedrin. He was, he was highly esteemed. He was a Pharisee, a scribe. And then you look at John chapter 4, the very next chapter, and Jesus reaches out to a woman in Samaria. Now, the Samaritans were always looked down upon by the Jews. You remember the, the parable of the Samaritan that took care of the, um, of, of the, of, of the, um, the wounded man? on his way to Jericho, that very parable just showed, Jesus was trying to show this uh, relation between the Jews, and the, Samaritan, uh, the Jews and the Samaritans. And so here in John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman, very different than Nicodemus, no religious authority, an outcast, marginalized, and it was no, no wonder that she came to draw water, it says in the Bible, at the sixth hour. And you know the sixth hour? That is, that is 12 o'clock according to uh, re uh, biblical time reckoning or Jewish time reckoning of that time. That was in the middle of the day, in the heat of the day. Normally you would draw water in the early in the morning or in the evening. She comes alone to the well because there are some issues in her life. You know, there are some things going on in her life. She doesn't want to meet anyone. And she's on her way there to draw water in the middle of the day, in the heat of the day. And there Jesus is. And Jesus reaches her. These two individuals, as different as different can be. Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. Jesus meets the woman at the well by day. Nicodemus is rich and wealthy. The woman is poor and an outcast. Nicodemus is a Jew and a spiritual religious leader. The woman at the well is a Samaritan and obviously doesn't really know much other than that she is anticipating the coming of the Messiah at some point of time. And in both these instances, Jesus is working personally with these individuals. And it's just, and, and you know, even though they are so different from each other, they have one common, they have a commonality that all humanity has. And that is the need of the person Christ. It doesn't matter what kind of rank or state or position 
or amount of influence that we have in this world, we all need the saving power of Jesus Christ. And they both do not immediately understand the words of Jesus because when Jesus says to Nicodemus there in John chapter 3, you know what he says to Nicodemus? He says, you must be born again. And Nicodemus says, how can a man enter a second time into the womb and be born? So what is Nicodemus doing? He is thinking literally. He, is not, he, he, does under, he does not understand the spiritual language of Jesus. And then you go to John chapter 4, and you know what, what Jesus says to the woman at the well? He says, I have a water that you don't, that you don't have. I have living, he presents the living water. He says, I have living water to, for you. Do you know what the woman responds? She says, you have nothing to draw water with. You have nothing to draw water with. In other words, she is thinking literally. You have nothing to draw literally water from this well that we are sitting here, Jacob's well. Isn't that interesting? They are as different as different can be, and yet they are so much the same. Because Nicodemus doesn't understand the spiritual language of Jesus, and neither does the woman at the well understand the spiritual language of Jesus. And so what does Jesus do? What does he do in such a marvelous way? He takes the person where they are and leads them into an understanding of who he is. And so for Nicodemus, that meant going to the scriptures of Moses because that's all he knew. From a child, Nicodemus had grown up, grown up, grown up, and if there was anything that, that he knew, it was the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, the law, Moses. And you know what Jesus does in John chapter 3? You can go back and read it. He takes, he talks about Moses and how he took the pole and put the snake on the pole. And then he likens that as a type to himself. Jesus became sin for us and whoever looks at him will be saved. And so he takes an example, and uh, an illustration, a typology of the Old Testament scriptures that, that Nicodemus can relate to, and then he points it to himself as the Messiah. What he does in John chapter 4 is he takes the, living, he takes the water, because the woman at the well might, might not be so familiar with the writings of Moses, but she is familiar with water. She comes and draws it every day. And so Jesus says, I am the living water. You know, you draw water here every day, but there's a type of water that you can receive, that you can partake of, that will lead to everlasting life. In order for us to reach out to people personally in evangelism, we need to follow the example of Jesus. We need to look at how Jesus worked with people we need to look at how Jesus encountered people and how he reached out to them and how he brought into their lives a spiritual understanding, a spiritual realm, a spiritual dimension. That's the same what you and I want to do. It's not a um, one, one size fits all. You know, the way that Jesus dealt with Nicodemus was different than the way that he dealt with the women at the well, even though they had the same need. And with the, with the situation of Nicodemus, he talks about the writings of Moses. When he's at Jacob's well, he talks about the living water. What can you take a hold of in someone's life to bring them to Jesus? That's the question you need to ask. And the Spirit will impress you to make those connections and to bring to a person face-to-face -face with Jesus Christ. And that personal work is a work of nurturing that person and helping and guiding that person in a practical way, a spiritual way, leading them 
to that moment of harvest. And you know the ultimate harvest, my friends, is when Jesus Christ comes. Sometimes we think of harvest as the moment of baptism. You know, the moment of baptism is not a graduation. It's the beginning of a new life. You know, in evangelism, I've seen this so many times. In evangelism, someone comes into the message through a series of presentations, and then that person is baptized in the church, and so every, the whole church thinks to themselves, wow, that person is in, he, he or she is part of us, and now, you know, life just continues. And oftentimes what happens is that person gets discouraged about something because they're just, they're just babes in Christ. They have so much to learn. They have so much to discover. And yet what happens is if, if, if baptism is seen as a graduation, they're not taken care of as they should, and so eventually they leave. You know, in public evangelism in many countries... You know that there are statistics, and I'm talking about Adventist public evangelism here, where half of the people that are baptized are gone after a year. Now, public evangelism is then looked upon as unsuccessful, and we stop public evangelism, and we don't do it anymore. But it's not the problem with public evangelism. It's the problem with the way public evangelism is, is, is being done. If we can do public evangelism according to Scripture and the spirit of prophecy, and if we can make it a cycle rather than merely an event, we will find that the blessings of God will be added to it. And so we must make sure that we work with people, and the moment they are baptized is not the moment that this work stops. It continues. It continues. We continue to reach out to them. We continue to spend time with them. We continue to involve them in a fellowship. We continue to teach them the beauties of God's word until they become more beautiful and more beautiful. And the picture of God has become brighter and brighter and brighter. And the potter is doing his work in forming and molding and fashioning the clay. And to a point that when even hard things come, they will say, like Peter, to whom else shall we go? To whom else shall we go? You have the words of life. Christ, God, this is what I want in my life. There's nothing else that I want. He's the treasure, and I'm willing to give up everything for him. Everything. And so it is my prayer that as we reach out to the multitudes, as we reach out to the Nicodemuses and the, and the women at the well, because they're all throughout society, that we can reach out to them on a personal level, impacting their lives with the truth and inviting them into a dynamic, a dynamic fellowship where they can encounter the Word of God. In closing, I want to go to John 12 here. And um, I just love this passage. And I think it fits so well with the overall theme of this conference here at GYC. Um, as we look at the hour has come, look at what it says here in John chapter 12 beginning in verse 20. Now, there were certain Greeks among those who came up to the worship at the feast. Then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. What a wonderful question. We wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus. Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. You know, there are people out in the world that are waiting for, a, for Christ to be manifest, for Christ to be seen. They are waiting for a manifestation 
of the Son of Man, the Son of God. And when Christ is glorified, when Christ is uplifted in our presentations and in our public evangelism and personal evangelism, he has the power to draw people to himself. So it's not the evangelist that draws people to himself. Sometimes that happens, and that's a tragedy, by the way. When it is all about the evangelist, and people are drawn to the evangelist, and the evangelist leaves, and the people leave, that's not public evangelism as we've been instructed by inspiration how it should be done. Public evangelism is uplifting Christ. It's uplifting Christ, and when he is seen, he will draw all men unto himself. Look at what it says in the same passage, John chapter 12. It says, most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, let, uh, serves me, let uh, him my father will honor. My friends, in closing, I want to say this. In order to be in order to, to, to bear fruit in evangelism, you and I must die to self so that Christ can be seen. In our public evangelism, as we are preaching and proclaiming the message, for Christ to be seen in you, for Christ to be seen in me, our self must first die to make room for him. What many, but too often happens is that the evangelist is live and seen and heard and people are drawn to him or to her. And yet, ultimately, what it's all about is Christ Jesus. He becomes, when he becomes the center of our preaching and the center of our attention and the center of our fellowship, and we are all dead to self and revealing Christ, that will be such an amazing picture, such an amazing experience that will lead into a conversion that will not just be for the moment, but for a lifetime, for a lifetime, that will lead into eternity. It is a continual movement of God. And so I just pray that um, through this series, we, you have been inspired uh, to uh, engage in public evangelism, in personal evangelism, that you have been uh, that you've received some tips and some counsel on, on how to do that. If you have more questions, please come to me. I'll be happy to share more. Of course, it has only been limited what we've been able to cover in these uh, four sessions. Uh, I would really, again, want to recommend the book Evangelism, uh, an amazing book full of counsel in all different aspects and areas of evangelism and public evangelism, and also the book uh, Gospel Workers. And it is my prayer that really, as you go forth to engage the age, to work in this dark continent of Europe, that God would empower you and give you enthusiasm, that you will be filled with the Spirit and preach with confidence, and that people will be drawn, not to you, but to Jesus Christ when you lift him up. Can you say amen to that? Let's have a word of prayer in closing, shall we? Father in heaven, I want to thank you for being with us this afternoon. I want to thank you for the promise in John chapter 12 that as Christ is lifted up, that he will draw all men unto himself. Lord, this is what we want to do in our evangelism, and we want to pray that you will empower us to be servants of you. Help us to die to self so that you can be seen 
and thank you, Lord, for the promise that your word will not return unto you void, but accomplish that which you have sent it out to do. Help us to be the vessels to bring your, wor your word to this world. For this we pray in your precious name, and for his sake we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. This message was recorded through a partnership between GYC and GYC Europe at the 2012 conference in Linz, Austria. GYC are supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church seeks to inspire young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org.